0: episode 26, chapter 3 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens.
1: And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God,
0: that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Stephen Kurt was born and raised in a missionary family in Nairobi, Kenya. When in the USA, Stephen lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he received his undergraduate degree at Oral Roberts University. He went on to obtain his master's degree at Global University. Stephen has traveled to over 30 nations and has lived as a missionary in four countries while ministering and teaching in several more. For the past century, the church has put a
1: lot of emphasis on going to new places to preach the gospel. And it's easy to see why. Jesus, after all, told his disciples to go into all nations and make disciples. And that's part of Daily Growth Discipleship's mission. We want to help you grow in your own discipleship journey so that your life would be a means of making other disciples. But in this chapter, Stephen Kurt talks to us about another passage of Scripture that we don't usually look at for the purpose of missions. It's the call to stay. And once we started down this road, we opened up a whole host of questions that showed us just how helpful developing a mindset for missions can be for creating a lifestyle of discipleship. You've got a new book coming out um, soon, I hope. (laughs) We've talked about it a lot, and um, it centers (laughs) around this missions theme of should we stay or should we go? And um, I I find this really fascinating because of course we should go. That's what the Bible says is the great commission. Jesus told us to go. Um, But you're saying that's not always the case. Can you talk to us a little bit about this book and, and what you're trying to accomplish with it?
2: Yeah. So I was asked to speak to a group of college students that were getting ready to go overseas for one month to two months. And we're talking 20 some different countries or such and, The director of the program was like, hey, we want you to share on something that's going to motivate them for ministry as they're going on this uh, mission experience so that lives will be changed. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, 20 some year olds going to 20 different countries for four four to six weeks. What in the world do I say to them? And then I'm reading through Luke and right at the tail end there in chapter 22, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And having been in missions most of my life, I'm very familiar with the Great Commission, go into all the world, right? And we've trumpeted that. And people have preached some amazing sermons and messages off of that and how we need to engage and people and reach lost people. And yet here in Luke 22, the exact same characters that are in the other story and the exact same setting, i.e. G- uh, Jesus um, coming out of the tomb right on the day of Easter, he looks at him and he says, don't go, don't go. Stay in Jerusalem, and I'm sitting there, and I'm scratching my head, and I'm like, "Wait, what? I've never heard anybody talk about this idea before." That before the Great Commission, there has to actually be a time of not going, and you know, the basic idea there is Jesus begins to unpack the idea of the promise of the Father, which he had alluded to in Luke 11, and he talks to them about, you know, if you ask, seek, knock, the door will be open, you'll receive, and then he sets it up within the context of specifically the Holy Spirit, right? And so he's made them this promise, you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them in Luke 22, don't go until this promise becomes a reality in your life. And so that night when I shared with these students, I broke down this idea of what does it mean to encounter the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you will be able to make an impact in missions. And that's kind of the idea of, you know, the entire book is helping, um, I would say, a younger generation, 40 and under, um, understand the role of the Holy Spirit, right? And part of that, you know, I've spoken enough in different contexts, talked to enough people. So many people have almost like a negative taste in their mouth towards the Holy Spirit in our generation. And because of whatever, so everybody has different reasons, you know, they witnessed people abusing the power of the spirit, or they saw shenanigans in the name of the Holy Spirit, right? And so one of the stories that I bring out in the book goes back to Kenya, when my mom uh, bought my brother and I some brand new running shoes, because we were we, we loved athletics and obviously Kenya always excels. And so we were trying to emulate some of the stars in Kenya at the time. And so she buys us these brand new shoes, right? And we're so pumped about it. And they were Chinese knockoffs because Kenya didn't really get any imports at the time. And so I have on my brand new pair of punas, P-U-N-A, right? And <laughs> my brother has on his brand new pair of Riobek, not Reebok, Riobek, right? And so these <laughs> shoes look great. They, 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 they look like the real thing and so I I take off like in my first major race and I'm doing pretty good. And I'm like, yes, these shoes are helping me out. And then all of a sudden the sole comes off the bottom of the shoe because it's a cheap knockoff, right? And my mom had paid this money. And then I talk about in the book, okay, well, let's correlate that to an experience with the Holy Spirit where someone said it was the Holy Spirit, but maybe it wasn't a legitimate expression of the Holy Spirit. If 20 years later you tell me that you're going to buy me a – pair of Pumas or my brother, a pair of Reeboks, and we break out in cold sweats and go, oh, no, I'll never wear those shoes again. You would say, hold on, that's not valid because those weren't even legitimate expressions of that brand 20 years ago. They were cheap knockoffs. And so I I guess the passion and heart behind the book is simply this. There has been so much of a cheap knockoff in the name of the Holy Spirit that people have thrown the entire concept out. And what happens is we are woefully under-equipped and unempowered to go and accomplish the mission of Christ. And so, you know, and I'll, I'll get up and I'll share with people. I'm going to talk about how God healed this person and how the Lord gave me a prophetic word for that person. And they got saved. And they look at me like blink, 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 deer in the headlights. Like, how could that ever be? And it's because we don't have even a grid or a framework of how the Holy Spirit wants to operate in and through our lives as believers in the 21st century.
1: Yeah, man. Wow. There's, there's, there's so much there. So let's just start at the beginning and unpack some of this. Cause this is really great stuff. Uh, so you're not saying that people shouldn't go. Your main thesis is that, that they should just wait until they have been trained and empowered and the Holy spirit releases them to go. Am I correct?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely part of it. And then I think it's, Learning, I would use the word dependency. Basically, the book can be boiled down to learning how to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And once you have you know encountered the Holy Spirit, it's not that it's a one- time, you know, I plug myself into the wall and I get a charge for the rest of my life. I love to just talk about a cell phone and the thing has to get recharged multiple times. And so it's just this idea that I'm not going to do missions in my own strength and my own strategy and my own ability and my own short term plans or goals. I want to be a part of the master harvester. I want to be a part of what the Holy Spirit's doing and the plan of God in this hour. And so it's how do I depend on him once I have encountered him and how do I keep depending on him and keep encountering him?
1: So, what did that look like in your own life? Because this sounds this sounds like too specific of a lesson to just be something you just came up with one day. And so I imagine that you have been through some th- I know your story a little bit, so, but I imagine sure. that you have been through some things where this dependency that you're talking about has had to become a learned necessity for you.
2: Yeah. um. I mean, there's a lot we could talk about there. Let let's let's just look at it this way: that in my life, growing up, as I've talked about in Kenya, uh, my parents. W- are and were uh, Pentecostal missionaries. And so they were connected with the Pentecostal denomination, but the school that I went to was definitely not necessarily Pentecostal. And so we would get ridiculed Pentecostals would get ridiculed from stage. Like, oh, they're the people who talk in tongues and do all kinds of strange things. And at the time I didn't speak in tongues and I didn't do strange things, but I was somehow associated with this Pentecostal thing. And so Man, we were like closet Pentecostals, for lack of a better word, because I didn't know, like, do I believe this? Do I not believe this? Is it real? Is it not real? I saw mom doing it, so I believed it was real, but it hadn't become a reality yet in uh, my life. And so it made me go back to a lot of these why questions, like, well, okay, why would I need the Holy Spirit? Why would why would tongues even be necessary for today why would the gifts of the spirit be needed today are the gifts of the spirit even possible for today and so that probably for about a 10 year period in my life became this quest to try and answer some of those questions in studying scripture as well as in talking to people that i knew that you know had this kind of experience in their life and At the same time in my own discipleship process, realizing more and more my own inability to make anything happen in terms of spiritual development, both in my life or in the life of people that I was trying to communicate the gospel with. And then every now and again, there'd be like this explosive moment where the only way that you could explain it is that God just showed up and then beginning to ask myself like what if God showed up more regularly what if we didn't just confine confine God to like youth camp once a year what if God showed up at the restaurant what if God showed up in the bar. And I say bar, you have to read the Satch story because God showed up in the bar multiple times and saved multiple drunkards, right? And so at some point beginning to ask, what if the Holy Spirit is the God moment? And what if I can walk in that kind of place where God just shows up regularly, not just at church? What if he shows up at the grocery store? What if he shows up here? What if he shows up there? And then if he does want to show up and if he's willing to show up, then how do I know when he wants to show up and how can I help facilitate that?
1: yeah, that was going to be my next question actually, is what have you done in your life to enable that sort of sensitivity to the spirit so that you are at least aware and willing to act when the Spirit wants to show up in those places? Because again, that's one of the biggest things that we are after with daily growth discipleship and, and living a lifestyle of discipleship is just that that each moment of the day contains opportunities. To become more like Christ and to follow His will, even in the the mundane, innocu- seemingly innocuous ones. And so, what have you done in your life to to remain open and and look for those opportunities?
2: Yeah, um, I, as as simple as it's going to sound, and it, um, those
1: are often the best
2: things. So I don't want to put okay, down the simple great. things. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I regularly just pray and ask the Lord for awareness of because I recognize so many times I miss it and then once I feel like you know I've really honed in on when God wants to move in any particular moment then obviously I need courage because it's not the easiest thing in the world to begin to take a step of faith i.e. you see somebody and you feel like God's given you a word for them or Um, you know, you feel like you're supposed to pray for a healing or something like that. And so I regularly and consistently ask the Lord for courage because I, by my nature, am not a courageous person. I'm much more on the introverted side. I'm much more on the non-confrontational, I'll let you do your thing, you do, I'll do my thing kind of person. And so then once that happens, once the courage is, then there also has to be exposure, right? So I can't just like stay in my... Uh, safety net my safety zone all the time and so I think you put those three together awareness courage and exposure um and then you just start taking some steps and I'm not gonna pretend that I haven't messed them up royally like there's been some times not even that long ago actually a few months ago I was praying for this girl and I forget all the details but she her and her sister Um, were there. And this was actually in a church context. And I I gave her the word that I felt like the Lord had for her. And she's like, wow, 50% of that was amazing. That was like right on. (laughs) And the other 50% of that was like, that's almost like, that's almost like heresy. That's like, that doesn't even, that has never happened in my life. And I was like, oh snap, I totally missed that one on 50% of it. And so then I'm wondering like, Um, hmm, Lord is, should I have not said anything, but God impacted her that night on that 50%. So I'm not saying that, I guess what I'm saying is there's room for growth in this. And it's not that you always get it right every time. It's that you make yourself a conduit so that God knows that he can use you. And I think just like with any um, activity or exercise, you get more familiar and more acquainted with how things go during a particular Um, training session. And, you know, you just get better and better at it and stronger and stronger as you exercise that particular muscle. So that's, you know, I still, I still mess it up royally. And then there's still times when God uses me powerfully. Well, and and we can't
1: even discount sometimes that, that other 50% that didn't mean anything or that she thought was heresy, baby, uh, might not mean anything right now. But some of the greatest lessons that I have learned have been because I've been in arguments with somebody, arguing against a position. And then months later, the Lord will slowly just crack my heart and my mind open to the other person's position. In, in, in some cases, I've come completely around on some of like the toughest arguments that I've ever had. We've had some of
0: those conversations just between the two of us over the last 10 years. Yeah, exactly. And so
1: I don't think we should even discount sometimes maybe the, what the Lord would have to speak into somebody's life that we're not yet ready to accept, but is going to plant the seeds for something uh, to come later. Um, Yeah, that's good. The other thing I'd like to just point out is how encouraging that is talking about just the simplicity of prayer right there, because I think we get it in our minds that following Christ, and I mean, it means everything. I mean, it really is this dramatic life and death thing on a cosmic scale. We, we talked with Leo Sanchez about different models of sanctification, and one of them was this dramatic model um, that, like, it's just this amazing cosmic drama and battle. That's Basically, going think on. Lord
0: of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Lord of the Rings. Wow. There you go. But
1: at the same time. It takes place—Lord oh, of the Rings, we'll use Lord of the Rings—it takes place in the smallest, mm-hmm. simplest yeah. moments, like Gandalf talking about the great power that the hobbits have and just the everyday moments. Um, and, and so sometimes we, we, we think following Christ has to be in these great, grand gestures. And And no, just learning to condition ourselves to say, you know what? Praying throughout the day and looking for opportunities, rather than saying, well, I did my quiet time in the morning, I don't need to talk to Jesus anymore today. But saying, no, just becoming present in the moment, asking, what can I do right now, and being open to the Spirit using you, I think is one of the best lessons that we could possibly learn. And it's simple, but it's also one of the most difficult things to get right in our life consistency consistently because you're right we fail at it in fact i'll tell a, a telling story josh and i failed at this one time royally oh, this was yeah, like yeah, a, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: a classic um a, a priest just walking around the other side of the road when there's somebody you know lying sick and josh and i were literally finishing up class at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary, not to throw the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary
0: under the... To the no, book. this was us. It this was them. us. But the point is, we're leaving class from <laughs> seminary
1: to train in ministry to go back to our jobs at another ministerial university, <laughs> and a guy comes up and asks us, I don't even remember exactly what it is, but he was basically asking for some counseling of some sort, and he's like, do you guys know of anybody that does this? And we just said... I don't know why, but we just totally missed the mark. So, like, yeah, go ahead and go on in the seminary and ask somebody. They'll point you to the right place. That's awesome. (laughs) And we got, like, I swear, 100 yards down the road after we... And then it hit us. And then we, like, looked at each other and was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I think we just missed an opportunity right there. That's great. (laughs) And, like, we tried to turn around and come and find the guy. And, like, like, at at that point, the, the opportunity was gone. But... We can beat ourselves up about that and we have beat ourselves up about that. Or we can learn from it. And we can learn from it. Yeah. And I think that's what we have to do in those moments of failure is we just have to learn from it, consider it a repetition like you were talking about in that training and um and get better
2: as a result. Yeah, it's good. Um about fifteen years ago I was in Houston and a pastor that I was only loosely connected with said this to me and I don't even remember his name, but it has become one of the most uh, defining uh, words of wisdom on how to operate uh, in terms of seizing an opportunity. And he said, whenever he went anywhere, he would always, particularly he was talking in the context of ministry, but I think it applies in any context where you feel like God may want to do something. He said he would walk into the room and he would say, Lord, I know you're already here. What are you doing? And how can I be a part of it? And Man, that hit me between the eyes, and that's something that has resonated with me for you know the last fifteen years. Like even to this day, I would say that's the number one piece of advice that I give young people when they come and say, "Hey, how do you do ministry?" I go, "Man, I'm not trying to do the ministry. God's trying to do the ministry. I'm just trying to figure out what He's doing and how I can be a part." And it takes the pressure off, and it also allows you to be able to say, "You know what? I'm probably going to." get it wrong sometimes, but it's not my ministry to start with. It was his ministry. And so like you're saying, it can even be God can use our mistakes, right? That's what the Bible is. It's It shows how God uses people's mistakes to accomplish his purposes greatly because he's the one who wants to do the ministry, and he's the one who wants to change people's lives.
0: Learning dependency on God happens in the everyday moments of life. We know we sometimes face moments when it's very clear we need God because the situation is definitely out of our hands and out of our control. But this battle to lay down our confidence in our own abilities isn't won in those moments. It's one in the ordinary moments when we create a lifestyle of dependence on God for everything. So today I want to challenge you to be conscious of that. And as much as possible, practice awareness today awareness of what God is doing in every moment. Sometimes it'll be difficult to see what he's doing, especially when you're doing a bit of mundane work. But take a moment to pause and ask God what he's doing in your life and in the lives of those around you in that moment. Like Stephen said, this isn't something easy to do, and you may often get it wrong or miss what God is doing entirely. But don't worry, this isn't about getting it right today. It's about building a lifestyle as you practice day after day being aware of what God is doing.
1: How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Stephen and his work, check out InvolvedInternational.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation where Stephen unpacks a few practical ways you can grow a missions mindset. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to Daily and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.